Yeah, one name above every name, above every problem, above every situation. Thank you, choir. You guys can come on down. While they're coming down, man, I, I just wonder, what if we all just said it together? Jesus. Jesus. What if we all just said it together? Jesus. Think about the problems that you're facing right now and say, Jesus. Think about the things you've been through in your past. Jesus. Think about the things you're going through right now. Jesus. Wow. One name. Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Jesus is all we need, amen? All we need. You'll be turning your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 16. While you're turning there, I do want to say thank you to some folks for Wednesday night, especially staff, all staff included, for all the work that you did for Wednesday night. Thank you for those of you that came, man. We had a good time Wednesday night. If you hadn't been to thefaithofgrange.com and checked the website, checked the Facebook, you need to take a look at it. Larry posted some pictures and a video, some things that we did, had some hot dogs, some barbecue. But we had a great time. We had a lot of people there, but we didn't have everybody there. I'll tell you that because we're going to do that again um, in a few weeks, maybe on a Wednesday night, maybe on a Sunday night. But we, we're going to do that at least one more time during the summer. It's just to get together as a family. It's just to have fun. It's, it's just to celebrate and worship. Listen, we are a family and if we can't get together and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, well, we're missing something. But we had a great time. I want you to put something on your calendar, too, for those of you who will not be out of town on Labor Day. Like Labor Day, man. I mean, this, this week was the first day of summer, June 21st, the first day of summer. And you're already looking at the end of summer. And I know a lot of you get that last vacation in, but Labor Day weekend, that's just the best time we could find to do it because a lot of you are off on Monday. If you're not, I'm, I'm sorry. But on Sunday night, we're going to do a church-wide fellowship again. I really want you to go ahead and put it on your calendar for Sunday night, Labor Day weekend. We have rented um, Camp Pioneer right up the road up here. Got the lake. You got fishing. We'll have all kind of games. There's all kind of stuff we're going to do. We're going to eat. Of course, we're Baptist. That goes without saying. I don't know why I wasted perfectly good breath, but we are going to eat. And at the end of it at night, we are going to have a really big fireworks show that's just for us out there. So I hope all of you put it on your calendar to plan to be there Labor Day weekend for, for some fellowship and also just watch the announcements for the one that's coming up because, again, probably about four or five weeks, somewhere mid-summer, we're going to try to do something similar to what we did this past Wednesday night. Anybody have a good time Wednesday night? Yeah, some good times, some good groceries. We'll have ice cream again, of course, and this time when we get down there, we'll plan to have some watermelon. If there's anything that we missed, it was watermelon, but we'll try to make sure we make up for that and have a little bit the next time. So here in John chapter 16 this morning, any time that I'm studying the Word of God, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. I'm just studying. This is my book. This is my instruction manual. This is my help. This is my hope. This is my strength. This is all I got. This is all I need. It's also my correction booklet. 
my instruction manual that says, boy, you need to straighten some stuff out, amen? So anytime I'm, I'm reading it, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. God, I'm a mess, and I need you to help me. The only thing that might be a little bit different is being a preacher, I'm always thinking, I will leave here today thinking Sunday's coming. God, your people, if, if the Lord Jesus don't come get us in the next seven days, we're going to gather here again next week. And Lord, your people are going to come. And Lord, give me something for your people, something to help them, something to encourage them, something to strengthen them, something to correct them. It doesn't matter to me. Just give me something for your people, God, while I'm studying for me. And sometimes God just gives me stuff. And, man, I come in here so excited. And as I've said before, I'm not good at relaying my excitement. But I come in so excited because I know that what God has given me has helped me so much that it's going to help everybody. Sometimes God gives me things that are more detailed. They're, they're more pointed, if you will. And you come in still excited because you know that God is going to help somebody. I don't know. I, every one of us in this morning deals with trials and troubles and tribulations and situations. And, but everybody deals with things differently. For some, it's harder than for others. So this morning is one of those that I know for certain that it's going to help somebody. It may be one. It may be 21. I don't know. But the only way to know if it's you is to just get to listen to what we are studying this morning, if you will. You know, life, life hands us a lot of situations. Anybody say amen? I mean, things come up in life that just seem to come out of nowhere. We wasn't expecting them. We wasn't looking for them. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they, they just showed up, and it's like they stopped us dead in our tracks. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some things come, come about in life that just, like, bring a halt to everything. It's like, how do I get past right here? How, how do we get through what we're going with? Well, in John chapter 13, Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he tells the disciples, one of you will betray me tonight. Now, we know the story. I'm not going to back up and cover all it, but after Judas Iscariot has left the room, he's gone to betray Jesus. Jesus begins teaching his disciples. For the remainder of chapter 13, all of chapter 14, all of chapter 15, all of chapter 16, Jesus is teaching the disciples. When you get to chapter 17, Jesus prays with and Jesus prays for the disciples. They were about to face something that they had no idea what was coming. Jesus knew that they needed some strength. Jesus is preparing them for what is about to happen in just a few hours. He prays with them, and they cross over the brook Kedron, and we know that Jesus went in the garden to, to pray. Four complete chapters of the Son of God teaching. I said four complete chapters it's kind of like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. But this is individual teaching, four chapters of the Son of God, just teaching disciples of which you are. One complete chapter of the Son of God, just praying. But there's one word here in chapter 16 that I want to focus on this morning. 
Here in verse number 33, the instructions given is not just to the disciples. It's not just to the one in the room that night. It is to every disciple, everyone that comes to Christ, to the Father, through Calvary's cross. He says in verse number 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Anybody need a dose of that? Makes a statement, that means it's a promise. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's a lot of things that we face in life. I'm going to mention a few this morning. I may mention yours and I may not. But you plug yours in right there this morning because I want to look at a message on being an overcomer. God, thank you so much that we can come together as a family. God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, united through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that wonderful name that is above every name. We've come here, Father, to bring glory and honor to the name. We've come here to lift your praises. We've come here, Father, to sing to you that your name might be glorified. But we've come in need, God. We're a needy people. You know that. You've made us. You created us. You know every hurt, every problem, every trial, every situation. You know them before we get to them. And you've prepared every way, God. I pray you'd give us strength this morning. I pray you'd lift some. I pray you'd help some, God. I pray, Father, you, you would strengthen some. I pray that your perfect will be done. God, do only what you can do. Divide this message as many times as you will for as many ears as are listening. And speak to each person in here, God, according to your own perfect will, that everyone may hear from you this morning, that we may walk out of here a better servant, that we may walk out of here stronger, Father, that we may put some burdens down this morning and walk out feeling the peace that your word has promised us, God. I pray you'd help us to be overcomers this morning. We love you, God. You've been so good to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious, sweet, holy name. Amen. So life, life hands us a lot of crazy twists and turns along the way. I mean, just literally things that we just never saw coming, but there they are. Now they've happened. They, they've come out of nowhere, and now we need to overcome where we are. Some of us have already overcome a lot of things in our past. Anybody say amen? Anybody agree? Anybody already had to overcome some things in life? But, but it's not like overcoming once is the end of it. They just keep coming. But, but we overcome things that a lot of people, are actually we struggle with things and try to overcome things a lot of people don't even know about. A lot of people struggle with things like fear, anxiety, hopelessness. I mean, we, we look at the situation and we're like, how we ever get through this, we, we deal with worry or frustrations. A lot of people deal with things like depression. Um, a lot of people are dealing with things in the loss of a loved one. They come out of nowhere. It wasn't supposed to happen. That's not the way life was supposed to be, but, but here it is. A lot of times it's ridicule from people around us. It's ridicule from those in our schools or those in our work site, maybe even those in the community. But, but all of the things, that's certainly not an exclusive list, but that's just kind of bumping into some things that maybe get the mind started that you might can think about what it is that, that you're going through. The Word of God assures us that there is nothing that we can't overcome. That no matter what it is, no matter what yours is, plug yours in right there. You say, but you don't understand mine. You're right, I don't. I don't need to. They just sing about a name that understands it, though. 
They just sing about a name that knows all about it. And, and that is the name that can help us to be an overcomer of whatever it is that we have. He assures us that while every situation may be different, every trial, every testing, every tribulation may be different, the answer is always the same. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The word overcome, translated 22 times here in the Word of God. We see it nine times in the Old Testament, 13 times in the New Testament. Three of those times are over in the book of Revelation. They are prophetic events. They are things that are yet to come. So here's the beauty of this word. A lot of times when you find an English word, you can look, and it comes from several different Hebrew words or several different Greek words, and there's a multitude of meanings that come through. It just happened to be translated, but not so with this word overcome. Whether it's the nine times that it comes from the Hebrew language or the 13 times that it comes from the Greek language and it's translated down, including the three times that are dealing with things that have not yet happened, it always means the same thing. It is to conquer. It is to overcome. But here, here's my, my favorite. It wouldn't fit as a one word in a sentence for overcome, but it's my, my favorite definition of what this word means. It is to prevail in victory. <laughs> that means it doesn't matter what it is that we're facing, what it is that we're dealing with, through Jesus Christ, you and I can prevail in victory. We live in a world, you can go ahead and say amen before I get it out, is full of wickedness, full of junk, full of hypocrisy, full of evil, full of trouble. It doesn't matter where you turn. You ain't got to go far to find some trouble. We live in a world that the Word of God tells us, point blank, is full of tribulation. That word tribulation there is translated from a word. It means pressure. Anybody ever feel any pressure? It means afflicted. Anybody ever been afflicted? It comes from a word. It means anguish or burdened. It means persecution, and it means trouble. So what Jesus says of that word persecution, it means all those things. He says, don't worry about any of those. I've overcome that. Whichever one of those is yours, I've overcome that. Whichever one of those describes you, your situation, your problem, Jesus says, I've already overcome that. We live in a world that's still trying to defeat us. Listen, just because we got saved, the devil didn't stop trying. Somebody say amen. The devil didn't stop trying to trip us up, make us fall, make us fail, pull us back, knock us down. The world is always coming. The devil is always trying to trip us up that he might tear us down, always trying to silence us. Can I tell you that the world, if they can't keep you from getting saved, you may already be saved. They may not can stop that now, but they can do their best to try to shut you up. The devil may not have kept you from getting saved, but he wants to keep you from getting anybody else saved. He wants to keep you from telling anybody else about Jesus Christ. And what he does, somebody go ahead if he's ever done it to you. He tells you that you're no good. The devil wants to tell us God could never use you. The devil ever tell you you should be ashamed of yourself? Anybody have anything you like to be ashamed of? Yeah. See, God assures us that the devil's not just a liar. He's the father of all lies, the creator. 
the inventor of all lies. So everything that he tells you, whether it's whispering in your ear, speaking through the mouths of those around you, the devil is a liar. God help us. The devil wants us to be ashamed because when we feel ashamed of things, it, it leaves a, an inferior feeling. When we're ashamed, when we begin ashamed of things that we've done or ashamed of things that are going, there, there's that feeling of, must be something wrong with me. Somebody help me out. I don't want to be the only one living up here in my little world. I ought not think the things I think. I should have never thought the things that I've thought. I should have never done the things that I've done. Devil loves to drag those things back up. It ain't always the things that, that I've done. I ought not be doing something that I've done. I ought not be saying some of the things that, that, that I say. All I'm saying is the devil will take thoughts of whatever it is, whether it's in your past or your present, and tell us you're no good. God, God can't use you. He'll do what he can to make you feel ashamed because shame makes people isolate themselves. Shame is something that makes us feel like there's, there's not enough grace for me. Oh, I believe in grace. I believe grace is real. I, I even tell people God's grace is sufficient. I just don't know if it could get over what I'm dealing with. Shame is a, a, the prison that the devil uses to hold people in bondage of where they are, to keep us from being everything that God has designed for us to be. Sometimes it's shame. Sometimes it's pain. The devil doesn't care what he uses to knock us down as long as he gets us down, right? So how do we be overcomers? How do we overcome the things of this world, the things that we deal with. First John chapter 2, verse 12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Whatever it is, gone, done, justified as it never happened. Amen? First John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Evil is always the opposite of good. The things of the world is always the opposite of the things of God. Anything that is worldly is not godly, but the world is always trying to get rid of anything that is godly. That, that includes you and I. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that evil is always present. Well, if evil is always present, then how do we always overcome it? Verse 21, he says, Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. So Paul says, don't let evil have victory over you, but be victorious over evil. Albert Barnes in his commentary, he says of that verse, maintain your Christian principles amidst all opposition and thus show the power of the gospel. So how do we be overcomers? How do we overcome evil? How do we overcome all of the stuff that's going on around us 
Jesus said by doing good. See, that's a concept that had never even been heard of in the history of the world until Jesus came along. That's a concept that had never even been thought of, much less taught until Jesus came along and began teaching to love our enemies, to do good to those, pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us and say all manner of evil against us. Those things had never even been considered until Jesus came. Now think about Jesus. Jesus is the most rejected human being who has ever lived on this planet. Jesus was rejected by the very ones he came to. He wasn't just rejected by all of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was rejected by the priests and the rabbis, the one that God had appointed to lead the people, the very ones that he came to. He was rejected by the synagogue, all of those who would have been in the day, the religious leaders. We know for certain that he was rejected by the Roman authorities. Matter of fact, if you study, you'll see until after the resurrection, he was rejected by some of his very own family members. Even today, Jesus remains to be the most rejected human being to have ever lived. Millions a day reject him as their personal Lord and Savior. Millions a day say, no, thank you. Amen. Even today, people continually reject Jesus Christ in spite of all that he's done for us. So if we look into the gospel, we see that for a brief time while hanging on that cross, even God the Father had to turn his back on Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus took all of my sin, and that was enough if he just took all of mine. But you got some too. I said that was enough if he just took all of mine, but you got some too. He took all of our sin, placed them on himself while hanging on that cross. So the father had to turn his back on him so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on us. Jesus took everything and placed it on himself. That, that is how, that, that is why when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are accepted forever. Jesus was rejected so that you and I could be accepted. God's such a good God. The old letter of the law is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus came and he brought this whole new line of teaching. He says we can't overcome evil with more evil. The only way to overcome evil is with good. Just like light dispels darkness, good takes away the power of evil. Barnes, I started in his commentary a minute ago. I didn't finish it. He goes on in his commentary and says, Nothing like this is to be found in the heathen classics. Nothing like it ever existed among pagan nations. Christianity alone has brought forth this lovely and mighty principle. The one design of it is to advance the welfare of man by promoting peace, harmony, and love. The idea of overcoming evil with good never occurred to men until the gospel was preached. It's never been acted on except under the influences of the gospel. On this principle, God shows kindness. On this principle, the Savior came and bled and died. On this principle, all Christians should act. On this principle, bringing the world to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christians will show benevolence, if they will send forth proofs of love to the ends of the earth, the evils of the world will be overcome. Nor can the nations be converted until Christians act on this great and mo most important principle of their religion on the largest scale possible. 
to overcome evil with good. The greatest evil that has ever taken place on this earth was at Calvary. The greatest evil that the devil has ever poured out was at Calvary's cross right there on that hill. The greatest love that was ever poured out was poured out in the same place on the same day at the same time proving there is no evil that cannot be overcome by love. When you and I as Christians who have accepted Christ, we, we've been born of God, then we have been given the ability, the capacity to overcome the world. First John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, For whatsoever is born of God is born, uh, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus overcame rejection. And as God's children washed in the blood of Jesus, our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we have been empowered to do the same. Jesus faced more opposition than any of us are ever going to face. He faced more opposition than any other man is ever going to know. He was asked questions that he knew to give the true answer would create opposition. He faced situations that he knew doing the right thing would, would create persecution. So no one ever faced what Jesus faced. No, no one has ever dealt with the rejection that Jesus has dealt with. No, nobody's ever dealt with the persecution. Jesus literally took hell on himself he took the fury of hell he took the wrath of the father on himself so that you and i don't have to take them that was a really good opportunity for you to say thank you so much jesus just in case i ain't said it enough lately thank you very much he took what nobody else could take he suffered what none of us could have suffered and he did what no one else could do but in spite of all of the rejection in spite of everything that was there, Jesus never let rejection or persecution affect his decisions. He never let rejection affect how he treated those who rejected him. So rejection couldn't keep him from accomplishing the Father's will. That's why when we have Christ in us, we can be more than conquerors. He says that we can overcome the things of the world. See, no matter what you're dealing with, and, and you can plug in a whole host of different things right here. Every one of us came in here this morning dragging our own baggage. Every one of us came in here this morning with our own ball and chain hooked up to our ankles. Every one of us came in here this morning with our own handcuffs that the world and the devil and his lies have put on us. Every one of us brought our own troubles, our own trials, our own heartaches, our own situations, the own things that, that life has handed us. Every one of us brought different things in here, but there is nothing known to man that cannot be overcome by the name of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Whatever you felt, Jesus felt. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, sometimes we, we 
come into the throne room of God and I don't know. It's, it's like, God, do you understand? I'm hurting. God, do you understand what, what I'm, I'm going through here? God, do you understand I'm confused about some things that you're allowing to happen in my life? Do you understand that I am upset about some things? God, I wasn't counting on this, and I know you're God, and I know you're good, but I, I'm upset. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't. Y'all may just move on to the next chapter. Anybody know? God, do you understand what's going on? See, Jesus is our propitiation. He is our intercessor. He is our defense counselor sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he listens to what we pray. And he looks over at God and he says, I understand. Oh, he said, I know exactly what. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly the feeling that you're trying to portray right now. We, we come into the throne room, we say, but God, I, I've been trying to tell a family member about you. I've been trying to tell somebody that I love about Jesus. I've been trying to, to get somebody saved. I've just been trying to do your will. And it's like nobody wants to listen, Jesus says. I know exactly what you're talking about. Jesus experienced the same thing. That's what he says. The same thing that you and I experienced. He was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus says, I know what you're talking about, and I know how to overcome it. Whew, anybody like that part? See, rejection can't change who you are. Persecution can't change the way we think. Circumstances change often. Anybody still awake? Circumstances change often, but they do not change the truth of God's Word. They do not change the truth of our foundation. They do not change the strength of our God. And we can't allow them to change our attitudes. We can't allow them to, to change the position in which we stand in Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Y'all see that? Let us lay aside every weight. That, that means whatever it is that's holding us down, whatever it is that you've thought of this morning, whatever that ball and chain is, those shackles, whatever that burden is, whatever it is, that's keeping us down, whatever it is that's holding us back, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse number two says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There in verse number two, it doesn't say the cross was pleasing doesn't say that he was excited about the cross or that he came looking forward to the cross. It doesn't say that he was excited about the rejection that it faced. It says that he endured it. That's how much he loved us. That's free. It says despising the shame. That word despising is translated from a word that means to think against. That means whatever the world thought, Jesus thought against it. See, the devil tried to tell Jesus 
Just like when the devil tried to tempt Jesus after the 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness, and the devil went to tempt him, and he tries the same thing, you the pride of life, lust of eyes, lust of the flesh. He tried to do the same thing to Jesus that he does to you and I. He, he tried to, to tell Jesus, look at them. Look out there at all those people. They hate you. They put you on a cross. Jesus saw things differently. He, the, de the devil says, look how much they hate you. You should hate them back. But Jesus thought against it. He said, they're the reason I'm here because this is how much I love them. The, the devil said, anybody ever heard this one? You're nothing but a failure. God could never use you. Look, look at you. Look at, look at what a disgrace. Jesus thought against it because Jesus saw the cross as a success. The devil said, nobody's listening to you. Look at them. They don't care about what you have to say. Why don't you just give up? See, Jesus thought against it because he knew the Father was listening. The devil said, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. He told Jesus, look at you. Look, look what a disgrace you are. People spitting on you as you come down the Via Della Rosa. What a disgrace. Jesus thought differently. The, the devil tried to tell him, what an embarrassment you are to your family. What an embarrassment you are to the Jewish nation that you're even here. Jesus thought against it. When, when the devil used the mouths of men and looked up on that cross through those Roman soldiers and even through the Pharisees, he said, why don't you just come down off that cross? If you're who you say you are, you truly are God. Why don't you just come on down off that cross and, and then we'll believe you? But Jesus thought against it. He knew standing on that cross was the answer for my problems and yours. He knew that was our way out. See, no matter what the world had to say, no matter what Jesus was presented with by the enemy, Jesus thought against it. So our job is always think Jesus. Amen. <laughs> they just sang about the only name. No, no, matter, no matter what you're dealing with, no, no matter what situation we brought in, no matter what anybody is dealing with this morning, Jesus declared victory over your situation on Calvary's cross. Somebody should have had another running fit right there. The Holy Ghost ain't left the place. No matter what you are facing, Jesus declared victory over your situation. Whatever it is you have right now on that cross, Jesus says that we can be victorious. He defeated every thought, every imagination, every evil, everything that comes against us. The truth is when we're facing the mountain that we're facing, it is hard to see ourselves as overcomers because the mountain is just higher than we can climb. The mountain is just bigger than we can move, but the Bible tells us in the name of Jesus we can move mountains. See, here's one reason I have such a hard time some of y'all that are like me, y'all go ahead and side on with me. If we got any really holy, fully sanctified people in here, y'all just hold on. We'll try to get back to your world in a minute. But right now, we got to get over in the place where I've always lived. I know a lot about me. I was there when I did it. 
I, I, I know a lot about the things that I've, I've thought in my life. I, I know a lot about e- even in times in life, you're going, oh, I believe the Bible is true. I, I know that, that, that God can use people, but I've been with me a, a long time. Well, there's a lot of things I read I just don't understand. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do I have a full understanding? There's some things, God, that, that, well, sometimes I've doubted some things. Did he say that? Yeah. God, there's some times, sometimes that, that doubt still rises up. Can I just time out and plug one in right there? Jesus does not hold our doubts or our questions or our weaknesses against us. Calvary covers it all. Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse number 1, said there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except for God be with him. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So so Nicodemus is confused. Can we agree on that? Are we in agreement? Nicodemus doesn't understand what the Son of God in the flesh just taught him. He's confused about some things. Now, even after Jesus took time to try to explain it to him, in verse number 9, Nicodemus said, How can these things be? But when you get to chapter 19, (laughs) it ain't the apostles that came and got him off the cross. When you get to chapter 19 of John, it's not the disciples that went to Pilate and requested the body of Jesus. It's not the apostles who came and took him and prepared his body with spices and prepared him for burial. The Word of God tells us it is Joseph of Arimathea, and it is Nicodemus, the one who first came to him by night. Verse number 40 of John chapter 19, Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So what we see is that being confused about some things and not having a clear understanding of some things won't keep us from being used by God. The book of John chapter 11 Jesus is teaching. Somebody comes to him and tells him that Lazarus, the one that you love, that one that you care so much about, that good friend of yours, Lazarus, is sick. You know the story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Jesus just goes on with the teaching. Lazarus dies. We know know how the story goes. but, But here's the deal. Two days later, after learning about it, Jesus says, come. Tells the disciples, let us go into Judea. The disciples remind Jesus as if he's forgotten. Um... Lord, you do remember they want to kill you, right? You remember when we were there, they they wanted to stone you. They haven't forgotten that. If you go back there, they're they're still going to try to to kill you. So Jesus tells them why they're going. He says, let's be on our way. And in verse number 16, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's not a loyalty statement. That's not, I'll stand beside you wherever you go. If you die, I'll die with you. No, that's a sarcastic statement. 
We might as well go with him. He ain't got good sense to take care of himself. We might as well go die wherever he dies. We, we tried to tell him. So, so what we find out when they get there in verse number 21, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Verse number 23, Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So she makes it known, well, I believe you're the Christ, and I believe there's going to be a resurrection, and he'll be resurrected later. But what about right now? What about today? What about my situation as is? Verse number 39, Jesus said, Take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead four days. See, Thomas didn't believe that they could go there and live. Martha doesn't believe that anything good can come from opening the tomb. But Jesus loved them both the same. He didn't hold it against either one of them. See, see, doubting is not a disqualifying act from the love of God. Doubt in our minds is not a disqualifying act from God's usefulness that God can use you and I. All doubting does is creates an opportunity for God to increase our faith. Anybody ever doubted and God got you through it and increased your faith? Have you ever doubted again after that? You don't have to raise your hand. You'd be raising it all day if you're like me. Sometimes we doubt and God fixes it and God shows us and we look back and we're stronger and we can see what God did. Anybody see that you're a better Christian than you were, a stronger Christian than you were? Anybody see that you're closer to God than you were, that you see that you've grown since you got saved? You're no longer a babe on milk. You've gotten to a spot. You, you realize you've got a million miles to go, and you feel like, well, we won't ever get there until we see Jesus. <clears throat> but I'm better than I was. I ain't saying much because I wasn't much, but I'm better than I was. And then we find ourselves tripping up again. Well, in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus comes in the room where the disciples are in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus was there. So we're talking about the same Thomas. Talking about the same one. Said, come on, we might as well go with him. We'll all just die together. Verse number 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. After eight days again... His disciples were within, and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. At that point, notice Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, you doubted. You got to get. Thomas, these all tried to tell you. They already saw me, so, so I'm done with you. you. You had your chance back then. You saw that nothing happened in Judea. You saw me call Lazarus out of the tomb. You, you've seen, I told you, I told you that night that I'd be resurrected on the third day. They all told you, so I, I'm done with you because you doubted. There's some things that I have against you. That's not what Jesus said. He said in verse 27 to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. 
Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. So out of the twelve, Thomas is most remembered as Doubting Thomas. Boy, I'm glad my story isn't told in that book because they don't tell them what kind of names I'd have. How unfortunate it is that just a couple of mistakes, I mean, how many names could we call Peter by? How, how many times did, did Peter make negative statements? Why, why don't we call Peter rejecting Peter, denying Peter? He's the one that denied that he even knew Christ. But, but yet everybody, you say doubting Thomas, they know exactly who he's talking about. Thomas went on after the ascension of Christ and had a ministry just as powerful as any other disciple. As powerful as that of Peter, as powerful as that of John. He had a ministry as powerful as that of Paul. He just didn't write the New Testament. After the resurrection, he went to what is known as modern-day India, and there he, he preached, and, and, and he led people to the Lord, and he told everybody about Christ, and he built up Christ in that place. Matter of fact, there is a monument there built at Thomas. It says that the Thomas Cathedral is built over the location of his tomb. I don't know if that's true, but at least they think it's true. That's why they put it there. There's a book called the Book of Thomas that obviously didn't make it into the Bible. It's not one of the biblical books. There's, there's some uncertainty about who the actual author is, is, uh, of that book would be. But what is known is that Thomas led a lot of people to Jesus Christ. And Thomas was used greatly by God after earning the title of Doubting Thomas. Well, I, I, hate, I hate to say it. I really do. I hate to say it on Sunday morning, but I don't know how else to say it. It's true. Doubting is just a part of life. You ain't got to raise your hand and say, I've doubted that God would get me out of my situation if you don't want to. You ain't got to raise your hand and say, I, I've doubted that, that I mattered if you don't want to. I've doubted that God was listening to me. You ain't, you ain't got to agree to none of that. But there's a lot of us in here, Wood. There's a lot of time to understand that, that doubt is just a way of life, but doubt is something that we can overcome. Doubt is something that we overcome. I had a man ask me right here one time. We, we sang that song on a Sunday morning. This was about a year ago. We sang that song on a Sunday morning saying about Jesus, you've never failed me yet. Y'all know the song I'm talking about? I'm not going to sing it because y'all all get up and leave. Y'all know the song I'm talking about? He says, you've never failed me yet. I had a first-time visitor ask me in the foyer, why would you sing that song? You said he's never failed you yet. Why would you say yet? Well, I'm not the one that wrote the song, but because he's never failed me yet. Does that mean you believe that he will? No, sir. That means I believe because he never has, he never will. That person didn't stick here. That's okay. He and I saw more than one thing on different levels. But he ain't ever failed me yet. That's why when the devil starts entering doubt into the equation, into my mind, I can look back and go, he got me through that one. He can get me through this one. And if he's going to increase my faith, I've told you a lot of times, if you want your faith to be stronger than it is right now, you've got to go through something harder than you've ever been through before. Your faith can only be as big as your biggest trial. Your faith can only be as great as the worst thing he's ever brought you through. But we can look back on those times. Well, that was all free. Let's just move on with the message. 
God does not disqualify us for doubting. God doesn't disqualify us for asking questions. God doesn't disqualify us for being confused about some things. God doesn't disqualify us for for not understanding everything. God doesn't even disqualify us for mistakes. That's what grace is all about. God just wants us to come to Him in every situation, and He'll help us overcome all things. God, God has given us access to the throne room of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, and God says that my grace is sufficient for whatever it is. Whatever you have, every weakness, every failure, you just bring it. Romans 5, 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Verse number 20, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The fact is Jesus loves us just like we are. On our worst day and our worst sin at the worst moment in our past, Jesus loved us that day just like we were. Praise God, he loved us too much to leave us. He loved us too much to leave us in that lost condition. And even when we got saved, he loved us too much to leave us in that infant condition. Romans chapter 6, verse number 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. (laughs) Four solid chapters of Jesus Christ teaching you and I. Teaching it in a room to the disciples. If he didn't want you and I to have it, he wouldn't have recorded it and said, hey, this is for you. Four solid chapters, one solid chapter of of Jesus praying for them. But here's the deal. At the end of chapter 16, the disciples said, Oh, now we get it. Now we understand. Now we believe that thou art come forth from God. (laughs) Kind of like Elijah and the widow woman. After all she did and the cruise of oil never ran out and the barrel of meal never ran out and all that time and all that God did. And then at the end of it, when he goes in and, and raises her son from the dead, she says, Now I believe. This, this is the night of the arrest. Every story of Jesus Christ in this Bible since the day he called the disciples, they were with him. Y'all understand me? They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him call Lazarus out of the tomb. They saw the deaf made to hear. They saw him when he went over the pool of Bethesda and the lame walked. They saw him when he walked by the beer on the street and he touched the coffin and the woman's son got up out of the coffin. They, they saw him when, when, he, when he went into the room with the Pharisees and how he made an example and they let the lame man down through the roof and he said, thy faith, uh, and congratulated the men on, on their faith and the goodness of their faith and, and told the man that thy sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. They saw all that. And now Jesus teaches. and There must have been some pretty powerful four chapters of teaching because in spite of all they said, they said, now we believe. And this is what Jesus said. Do you now believe? Verse number 32, says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. 
These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Before that night was over, every single disciple would leave his side. Every single disciple would, would run. They would, as, as they tried Jesus, as they crucified Jesus, beat Jesus, spit on Jesus, everything they saw him do, they knew he had done nothing wrong. They knew he was not, not worthy of any of this punishment. They knew that none of that should be happening, but they rejected him in their silence. Don't raise your hand if you're guilty of that one. They rejected him because of fear. Because of what somebody else might say or what might happen to them. Boy, I don't want to have to raise my hand on that one. They rejected him because of doubt. They doubted his ability to protect them through whatever it is that they're going through right now. They rejected him because of confusion. They didn't understand. I mean, if God's in it, how could it be going like this, right? Anybody got that situation? If God's with me, why is this happening to me? Why is that going on in my world? Why, why does that happen in the, if God's in it? But, but when Jesus walked out of the tomb three days later, who's the first people he went to? The ones that rejected him in their doubt. The ones that rejected him in their fear. The ones that rejected him in their confusion. He walked straight into the room to talk with them. He'll do the same thing for you. He does the same thing for me. Doubt, fear, confusion, none of that disqualifies us. You may not understand what you're going through. You may not understand what you've been through. Because some of the things that some of you have been through seems borderline to hell on earth. Can I use that expression without offending anybody? Fortunately for you, it's as close to hell as you'll ever get. Because Jesus said, I got you covered. You won't ever taste the fire. You won't ever smell the smoke. You won't ever send your hair. I got you covered. It's all covered under grace. Be of good cheer. No matter what you're facing, Jesus has overcome it. If you'll put your trust in him. He'll give you the ability to overcome whatever it is that you're dealing with. Amen. Band, you guys come on up. I, I wonder this morning. I, and I don't know. I told you before I started. Sometimes a message is for everybody. You know it going in. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. It's for everybody. But I've, I've been with the Lord long enough to know that everything is for somebody. Every message is for somebody. And everybody has a different place where you had to meet the Lord this morning because you, we all came here dragging our different weights. That means we all came in on different roads, different avenues with different troubles, but we all came to the same place. So, so maybe, may, maybe the message is for you. Just bring him whatever you have. It doesn't matter if you're confused. It doesn't matter if you don't understand. It doesn't matter if you're worried. Just bring it to him. He says, you can have peace. Anybody could use some peace? <laughs> Boy, I've had some situations in my life. I just would love for peace to show up right then. It's hard to get it off. Maybe ask him to help you overcome whatever it is that's holding you down. I don't know. Whatever it is, Jesus said, be of good cheer. Whatever you're facing, I've overcome it. Go ahead and stand if you would. Band, if you guys will sing. 
I, I don't know what anybody's dealing with. Well, that's not true. I don't know what everybody's dealing with. I know some of you are dealing with stuff. But I, I do know this. Jesus gave me a message for somebody that needs to overcome something. You can deal with it right where you're at or you can come to the altar. Just don't carry it out of here. It's not yours to carry.
have you real quick right where you are. Just bow your heads, close your eyes just for a minute. Those of you that are Christians, I'd ask you to pray right now for anybody that's not. Whether they're in this building or out on live stream or watching later by video, Christians, I'd ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to somebody that's not saved. If you're that one that they're praying for right now and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. He said, it doesn't matter how many times you've rejected me in the past. It doesn't matter how many times you've walked away from a church, how many times you've walked away from a friend telling you about Christ, how many times you've walked away from the Bible. He says, none of that matters. I'm offering you salvation right now. It is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your way. You can't be good to people and get your way in. His name is Jesus Christ. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. His name is Jesus. You've heard it here all morning and it's not going to change. His name is Jesus. You can be saved right where you're at right now. In this church, out of this church, makes no difference. There's no place that is beyond the arm of Jesus Christ. It's beyond the grace of God, the blood of Calvary. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to save my soul and be Lord of my life, not, not just fire insurance. I surrender. I surrender all to you. I want to know you more. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Put my name in the Lamb's book of life. Move into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. You say a prayer like that? You're just as much a child of God as anybody else in this place because of what Jesus Christ did and because you accepted the gift. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so good. Jesus, thank you for loving me in spite of me. Thank you for stepping down out of glory and coming to this earth and, and, and dealing with all you dealt with, all the pain and all the rejection, Lord, all the suffering. I thank you, God, for putting my guilt on Jesus Christ so that you don't have to take it out on me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking it for me so that I don't have to. Thank you for saving our souls, God. We can be called family of the body of Christ. You've been so good to us. Lord, we love you. God, I pray you'd lift some burdens from some this morning. God, I pray you'd step in and, Lord, I pray that we'd leave this place, give peace where there was confusion, and give answers where there was questions, and give hope where there was, was hopelessness, God. God, I pray you'd give confidence where there was doubt. God, I pray you'd give victory where there was tribulation. God, I'm just taking it all from your word and saying we have those things. And I thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.